This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, welcome, fellow explorers to Awareness Explorers. I am your co-host, Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my co-hosts and fellow psychonaut and explorer of the inner realms. Brian Tom O'Connor. Is that psychonaut or psychonut? Uh, both. I think oh. they both apply to you there, Brian. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the nut part you can't help, which is part of our exploration today, which is, do we even have free will? And if we don't, what are the implications of that? Free will versus non-doership. We're going to explore both those views of reality and even give something beyond the intellectual discussion of it, which is some practical tools or points of view that would be the implications of not having free will. Because the, the default is always that we think we have free will, but there's a lot of indications that we actually don't. And when we started discussing this topic, what neurons automatically fired in your brain and and brought up stuff which you had no control over, but still entered into your thought process, Brian? <laughs> that's, that's quite a question. Let's see if I can answer that. Well, first of all, actually, I wanted to thank Rosalind Rourke, our previous guest explorer, for suggesting this topic. And when she emailed me and said, you know, have you talked about this? I emailed her back and said, I've thought about it, but I've been very hesitant about talking about free will and non-doership because they have a tendency to activate the conceptual analytical mind. And that's not the most helpful part of you towards realizing your true nature is pure awareness. So I sometimes shied away from it. But then after talking to you, I realized that it's kind of one of those one of those two-wing situations, and we're going to explore it from both sides and not come up with one answer, but allow you, our listeners, to come up with your own. Yeah, as we were starting to talk about it, Brian, we both came up with a physics analogy that is light a wave or a particle. And as physicists have studied this, they said there's no one answer to that. They, it's in some cases, it's best to look at light as a particle, and sometimes it's best or more accurate or more practical to look at it as a wave. And I think the same thing applies to whether or not we have free will. Sometimes it's better to look at the world and your life in terms of that you do have free will. And sometimes, in some situations, it's better to look at that you don't. You know, when it comes to psychology, you know, and personal growth and making decisions, financial decisions, relationships decisions, you don't want to say to your partner, well, I did that because I have no free will, so don't blame me. You know, that would be kind of a cop-out. But there are situations in non-duality where looking at things in terms of that there is no doer is actually very useful as a tool for potentially tapping into the witness or, or our true nature as awareness. Yes, as a matter of fact, um, many of the great spiritual teachers, a prime example would be Nisargadatta Maharaj, emphasized the seeing through of 
the individual as the doer. And a lot of people have reported that seeing through that or seeing the world as if you are not the doer, as if things are just happening, has been beneficial to awakening. But the other thing about it is, is that when people ask, well, is there free will or is there not free will? They're usually trying to satisfy some intellectual take on it. And I, I usually, I always feel like I want to ask, if you knew the answer to that question, what would it get you? Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite answers to this question, and I wish I knew who said it. I, I heard this many years ago, and I've always loved it, but I can't remember where I read it. And it was this. It's not true that there is free will. It's not true that there is no free will. And that kind of attitude brings it out of the sort of binary intellectual one or the other and brings it much more into your analogy of the wave particle duality and the uncertainty principle. Yeah, you know, uh, analogy I use is that our intellect, which we think can understand everything, is actually not a good tool for understanding certain things. You can't intellectually understand quantum mechanics or the wave particle duality. Your mind will just kind of explode. And I think um, somebody, one of the great physicists, I don't know if it was Einstein or Rutherford or whoever, said, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, that means that you actually don't understand it. You know, <laughs> That's right. I was probably either Niels Bohr or, or Feynman. I'm not sure. Could be, yeah. And it's hard for us to understand that the intellect can't understand something about reality. I'm reminded of the, uh, I dropped um, a piece of paper on the floor. Uh, actually, I was throwing away some writing and uh, didn't go into the wastebasket. And my dog went up to it and smelled it. And she's looking to see if she can understand this writing or this piece of paper by smelling it. And I had the thought, that's not the appropriate tool for knowing what was on that paper. You know, you can you can decipher scientifically the molecules of paint and what they're made of of a Van Gogh painting, but that's not going to help you to understand the Van Gogh painting. So we try to use intellect to understand whether we have free will or not, but really it's beyond an intellectual understanding in that both can be true or neither could be true. And that is very interesting to, to get. I'm reminded of a, of a thing Ramdas once said. If, uh, if, if somebody says, um, it's your turn to do the dishes, and the response is, well, we're all one, that's a distortion of different layers of reality. And on one layer of reality, we live in a psychological world. And another layer of reality, we live in a what could be called a spiritual or non-dual world. And in the psychological world, it's very useful to think that you are doing things and making decisions. You know, personal growth, self-help. I have a lot of books about this. If if we have no free will, none of my books make any sense. And I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So it's very useful to think that we are leading our life. We can create a mission. We can create a purpose. We can create good decisions and that they have effect in, in what, how our life goes. Yes, but I think I really like the fact that you brought up Ram Dass's sort of warning about mixing realities. Is that how he put it? Yeah, mixing layers of reality. That what applies to one category does not apply to another category. Yeah, that's that's really very true. If we if we use spiritual insight like there like we are not the doer in order to excuse bad behavior, we are definitely mixing layers of reality inappropriately. And this is one of the drawbacks uh, of, of the non-doership role. In, in life, often, we do need to take responsibility. For example, I used to be in therapy. I used to be angry. I used to be depressed. I blamed my parents. I got mad at my therapist for not helping me. And it wasn't until I took responsibility for my own happiness that I discovered it. The paradox was the way I discovered happiness was through realizing that I was not in control of everything and dropping yeah. those the conditions that I had for life and happiness. Mm -hmm. That is a paradox. And, and our, our minds don't like paradoxes normally. <laughs> you know, you could say the goal would be to take 100% responsibility for your behavior, your thoughts, and your actions, and to know that you're 100% not the doer, which are, is the exact opposite. But there are certainly areas of life where our default of thinking that we're a doer is very useful. And, and we do want to give that uh, credence before we go more fully into non-doership and what that would entail, because that's not the default. That's something we've heard that we don't really look at the world that way. But if we do look at the world through that lens, it has a lot of very interesting implications. I'm going to read something from a Stanford scientist named Robert Sapolsky, who has studied free will for many decades. And this is something that he says, after decades of study, I conclude that we do not have free will. After studying humans and other primates for 40 years, I concluded that many factors beyond our control influence our choices and behaviors leaving free will to be negligible in any context. And then he goes on, according to determinism, just as a rock that is dropped is determined to fall due to gravity, your neurons are determined to fire a certain way as a direct result of your environment, upbringing, hormones, genes, culture, and myriad other factors outside any of your control. So, good quotes. What do you think about that? Oh, I'm wholeheartedly in favor of it. I love Sapolsky, and I think he's right. Um, I knew you would say that, you know, 100% <laughs> that you had no control, that that was just going to come out of your neurons one way or another. But the unfortunate thing is my response to that is also determined, so I shouldn't make fun of it. <laughs> but, of course, when people hear that, the first thing that they will say is, yes, but doesn't this... 
doesn't this remove any culpability? Doesn't this allow everybody to just excuse all behaviors and all actions? And I, I, I don't think it does, because I think in a practical sense, let's say someone commits a crime and we understand that they did not have a choice to commit that crime or not. It doesn't. And there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of evidence that's showing that that certain genes lead to people murdering others, or certain uh, genes and upbringing, uh, you know, like almost always lead to this type of behavior. Absolutely, but it doesn't mean that therefore we cannot try this person, that we cannot put them in jail, because this is a practical method of preventing them from doing it again. We can forgive them emotionally, inwardly. We can love them, but we need to be practical and we need to try to prevent them from doing that again. And not only that, possibly create a deterrence to others. So there, so so it doesn't negate the practical, the practical way we deal with wrongdoing. But when we realize that there that we do not have a choice to act the way we do, not only does it remove blame, but it also removes credit. And credit and blame are the building blocks of the separate self, which we believe is illusory. And when you tear those down, you are that much closer to realizing your true nature as universal awareness. That's a great point that, that, in some contexts, psychological things, etc., uh, it's more useful to look at things in terms of that you do have free will, that you're making choices. But in a spiritual context, especially in the path of, of awareness, it can be very, very helpful in many ways to look at the world through the lens of there's no doer. And I want to expand on that. So if there is no doer, as you mentioned, there is no blame. And think of how much time we spend blaming ourselves. You know, if you if you took all that energy that you put on blaming yourself and criticizing yourself, and you just knew that that was totally illusory, you would be a different person. You know, that would be a good start. The whole idea of shame is, is a function that you have some control over stuff. You know, you don't shame a tree. You know, we think trees don't have control. We don't say, oh, you're a bad tree. You shouldn't have done that. So shame would be eliminated, which is another huge psychological burden human beings carry. Um, credit, you know, the whole sense of ego would be eliminated. And ego is probably the biggest obstacle to noticing your true nature as awareness. You know, uh, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I did a great job, I did a bad job. You wouldn't be taking credit, just be, you know, part of the function of, of how you operate, and you would notice it as a witness. And all these things could be incredibly helpful on the path of discovering your true nature. Yes, I, I really do think they are helpful. Uh, and, uh, you know, Rosalind Rourke, in, in our email exchange, pointed out that that you know for most people who are on the progressive path there's a kind of a there's a progression from seeing from taking responsibility to 
understanding that there is no doer. But she also said this, and I'm going to quote her, it says, but here's the thing, to bring absolute peace, it needs to be believed in absolutely. And she's talking about believing in non-doership. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a really, a really interesting point. It's, it's, it's key to utterly, completely live as if you are not the doer. However, on the other hand, I'm not sure belief is exactly the right word, because belief usually tends to trigger thoughts of, of the opposite. Like, well, you know, I'm going to hold this belief because this is true and such a thing is not true. And I think, I think the way is to look as if, ask, and this is what my meditation later is going to be about, not believing, but asking, what if? And you sort of alluded to this true. What if it were true that I am not the doer? Would I be able to let go of blame and shame? Would I be able to let go of anxiety and worry if I knew that everything simply happened of its own accord without me making it happen or preventing anything from happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting to point out about what Rosalind you have said is that this can be progressive. It might be, you know, for in Ken Wilber's system or the system called spiral dynamics, it goes into how we go through evolutionary changes that are higher or lower. And for a person growing up, it's really important as a child that you take responsibility that you think that you have choice that you are deciding whether to you know do something that's hurtful to others or not but as you progress on the spiritual path i think it can be helpful to have both points of view both wings of the plane where sometimes you see that this is a better way to look at it that i do have a choice here and and in some situations to look at that you don't have choice that there is no doer and then maybe as a person becomes quite enlightened they can let go of the psychological free will on um, the doer point of view because they're already a moral person they're already part of the allness that seems to be loving in one of its qualities and you just see the world from this expanded view where you don't really see you or other people as having free will. And the implications of that means you don't worry, because worry is a byproduct of thinking that our thoughts are somehow influencing reality. But if everything is kind of predetermined, you know, you're just kind of going along for the ride. You're you're in a, a boat called a body, and you're riding on the river of life, and you're just watching it happen. And that's really how enlightened people often describe their reality. Well, I found that describing or thinking of reality that way increases my own happiness. Yeah. When, you know, it definitely does. But interesting that you talked about a progression, and, and maybe... You know, for instance, Rupert Spira says that if it seems to you that you need to make a choice or a decision, then you make that decision in in reality. But you know deep down that 
you didn't actually make that decision. And also to quote Rosalind Rourke again in the email she wrote to me, she says, and I'll quote her again, I live everyday life as though I was choosing because this is the mechanism that has a well-worn path inside me. It feels like I'm choosing to go exercise or I'm deciding to write an article. But if and when I do not do it, I smile knowing isness trumps my plans. Blame it on isness. Isness trumps my plans. <laughs> and I really love that, you know, remembering John Lennon, you know, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Yeah, yeah. You know, it helps me in terms of like world problems, you know, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to probably affect global warming or the next presidential race or anything. And there's a relaxation like, well, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. And of course, you got to not use that as an excuse for not protesting when you want to protest or, or, or reality protesting through you because you didn't even decide to protest. Reality took you and made you protest. That would be a more accurate way of looking at. And you've talked about this before with your analogy of a drowning person. I, I'd like you to share that one again. Oh, yeah. My, in my analogies, there's, there's um, a child falls into a river and can't swim and it looks like he's drowning. Three people walk by and the first person says, it's God's will that that child fell in the river. Who am I to challenge God's will? And he does nothing. The second person walks by and says, oh my God, this is terrible. This should not happen. How? Where are those people's parents? Why didn't they put up guardrails? This is awful, but I can't do anything. I'm wearing a brand new suit. The third person says, oh, yes, it may be God's will that that child fell in the water, but it's also God's will that it fell in the water in view of an able-bodied adult who can swim. So he jumps in and he saves the child. And he does it because it's the thing to do that presents itself. Or you could say reality does it through him, or God does it through him, however you want to... Reality does it through him, absolutely. So if there's a decision to act, it is another part of accepting the reality of what is. Not only what has happened, but what presents itself to be done is part of the reality that one simply accepts. So mm -hmm. if you feel very strongly uh, politically about something, knowing that maybe you don't have a choice in the outcome of an election doesn't mean you don't contribute to causes, you don't campaign, you don't protest. Or maybe it means you don't. Um, but it, it, it doesn't mean that you don't ever take any action. Well, you can't not take action. <laughs> well, yes, yes, exactly. And this is this is why the brain rise when we discuss this topic. Exactly. You're, you're figuring it out whether you do or you don't. And it's much better to, to, to look inside and shift your attention from what you're looking at to what's looking and identify that and then allow everything to be. And then the action presents itself. What what you need to do just presents itself. People used to ask Wayne Lickerman, how do you decide what to do? And he would say, I simply do the next thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Wayne, Wayne Lickerman, by the way, was a student of Ramesh Balsakar, one of the foremost purveyors of the idea of non-doership, who also studied with Nisargadatta Maharaj. Uh-huh. So I want to leave people with something very practical. And using our two-wing analogy, you know, a plane needs two equally balanced wings. In this culture, there's so much of a focus on doership and you know, what you achieve and uh, take an action that a lot of people are stressed out with that. They they feel inadequate because they aren't achieving what they want. And I think if you have this other point of view that, you know, maybe we have no free will or almost no free will, that it can balance out that sense of overdoership, over-ego, uh, psychologically creating a sense of strong self, which causes us so many problems. So a tool I use right now is what's the best way of looking at this for me right now? And, you know, I'm trying to run certain courses. I have a book out. I have all these things I'm doing. And sometimes I just relax in, well, you know, how it's going to go is how it's going to go. And, and I'm not really the doer anyways. And that kind of helps me to relax into this more expanded view of reality, which is more full than the fact that I got to do it, you know, and and so that's been a useful tool for me. What, you know, what's the best way to proceed now? What's the best point of view that serves me now in my spiritual growth or even in my level of happiness? Yeah, that seems... Uh extremely practical and and uh, great advice i think mm -hmm. and not trying to figure it all out because uh 99 of what we think is based on thinking that we have a a self and perhaps that's why we're unhappy because we don't actually have one <laughs> that's right and so when you get caught up in trying to figure out whether philosophically free will is true or not it can be fun it's certainly fun. I listen to Robert Sapolsky videos often. I think he's great. And my intellect gets stirred up and I think about it. But when that happens, know that that's not what that's not what's going to do it for you. What's much better is just to try it on like you're at a clothing store and seeing if it fits. What if well, what would it be like if I wore this coat of non-doership? That's all it takes. Yeah. And you know, I should point out that uh, somebody a lot wiser than me once said, well, in a very stressful situation, to say the least, he kind of came to this conclusion. He said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Yeah. That and is... that's really pointing to, well, they're not the doer. So how could I possibly, how could God or Jesus blame somebody? You know, we don't blame one-year-olds for their we might be annoyed at them, but we're not blaming them like, hey, you're a bad kid for doing that. And we don't do that usually to animals either. We kind of assume that they don't have free will. But at some point, this mysterious kid that didn't have free will, we at some point we say, oh, now you have free will. Mm -hmm. And that is a can create all kinds of problems for people when that point of view is overdone. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up forgiveness because that really is a, a, a key outcome of uh, loosening the grip of doership. I, I usually think of it this way. Everybody simply does what's in their nature to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that can help you to let go of a lot of judgment. You know, I, I have really been looking at judgment as a way of obscuring love and kindness and a sense of peace. And the phrase that I use that really helps me is there being a perfect them. Mm -hmm. And that kind of points to they're not a doer. They're, 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 they were born to do, you were born to do Brian and you're doing Brian perfectly. If we ever do a movie about the life of Brian, uh, you're going to be the star because you're doing it great <laughs> and you couldn't do it any differently. You know, so that point of view of, of just allowing people to be who they are is a real freedom in terms of how you relate to people. There's no longer any judgment or blame. Yeah, that's right. You have to allow other people to be the way they are. You have to allow yourself to be the way you are and um, look at when you're trying to make something happen or prevent something from happening with the caveat that don't mix levels of reality by using this to excuse harmful behavior. Yeah, yeah. I think our, our audience definitely gets that. The fascinating discussion and hopefully useful to people. If you do find these things useful, please support us on Patreon. You do make uh, these podcasts possible. And shout out to all our big Patreon supporters. Uh, we do send you a bunch of free stuff if you support us, uh, extra meditations and bloopers and extra things from some of our guests. So uh, you can find that all at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And we have a meditation, unless you have any final words that you'd like to throw in there. Oh, I think we covered it pretty well. And we have no choice as to whether to say any more or not. So we might as well just move on. That's right. All right, so let's move on to the meditation. Here we go. Sounds good. First, close your eyes, if it's safe to do so. Take a nice, easy, deep breath and relax. This meditation is not about beliefs. It's a what-if meditation. So be on the lookout for your analytical mind trying to co-opt the meditation and throw you into conceptual thought. If this happens, just say to your mind, thanks, but I'm only playing with what if right now. Then put your beliefs on the shelf, just for now. You can pick them up later if you like, or not. What if you didn't choose today's weather? It just happened. What if you're not choosing to beat your heart? It's just beating on its own. What if you're not choosing to breathe? It's just happening by itself. You're just being breathed. 
open your eyes for a moment. What if you didn't choose for light to come in through your eyes, forming images in your mind, but it was just flooding in of its own accord? Close your eyes again and notice the sounds around you. What if you were not choosing to hear those sounds? They were just coming in through your ears. Notice a thought you just had, or any thought you've ever had. What if you didn't choose to have that thought? It simply appeared. Just for now, imagine this. What if, like sights, sounds, and thoughts, all of your actions were not chosen by you? They simply happened. Just for now, imagine this. What if every decision you made was made by the universe moments before you were conscious of making it? What if that decision happened automatically and it was only your mind telling you that it was you who made it? You don't have to believe it. You simply have to imagine it, just for now. What if everything that happens, including your actions, simply happens with no effort or action or causation on the part of you, the individual body and mind and personality? What if this were also true of everyone else? Imagine how differently you would look at the world, with no judgments about yourself or others. Imagine what it would be like if you didn't even have to try to influence things. Imagine how you'd be able to relax about everything that happens. Imagine what it would be like if you weren't invested in your worry. Imagine how relaxing that would be. Imagine what life would be like if there was no blame for anything. 
Imagine what your ego would be like if there were neither blame nor credit, because you, the individual body and mind and personality, are not the doer. What if you were to completely let go of trying to influence anything, to change anything, to bring about anything, or to prevent anything? And imagine that in letting go of these, worry and anxiety and fear also disappeared along with them. Imagine how freeing it would be if things simply are, without any doer, not even an imagined outside entity. If the world, with its apparent activities, simply arises, uncaused, unbidden. And now, if you still haven't been able to let go of the belief in your own personal doership, imagine that this what-if game was simply a tool for becoming free and not a position to take on. A tool to use to short-circuit worrying, to short-circuit guilt and shame, and unworthiness. Just try it on for size. See how it feels. Now, take another nice, easy, deep breath and at your own pace, begin to open your eyes. That's a far-out meditation. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody should write a song called Imagine. Wouldn't that be a great... What a, yeah, that would be... Yeah, that would be a great, a great title. And I, I bet you would become no heaven or hell, no religion too. I think we have something there. Yeah. And the world will live as one. Yeah. Wow. We'll have to write that song, Brian. Yes, in, in an alternate reality where it has not been written already. <laughs> oh shoot. But that song wrote itself, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was I, I love that. And uh I think it's a great tool to try to experience that and the freedom of that. And that meditation really led to that way of looking at things. Right or wrong, it definitely can be useful. Yeah, it definitely can be useful. And right or wrong, it's actually beyond right or wrong. Right or wrong is just thought. It's just concepts 
making distinctions between things. It's not reality, which is one unified, eternal energy rising and falling in temporary apparent forms. Reminds me of the Rumi quote goes something like, uh, beyond the fields of right and wrong, or there is a field and I'll meet you there, or something like that. Yes. Yeah, I've always loved that. Probably one of my favorite Rumi quotes. Yeah. I also want to thank you because you helped me out when I was trying to figure out how to do the meditation for this episode. You said, well, what if you just made it a what if meditation? And so I took that and ran with it. So thanks. Great job. And thanks to our fellow explorers. Uh, let people know about this podcast, put up reviews, blah, 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 all the things I like to say. But it's important to surround yourself with people who are part of your tribe of awakening. Until next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love. 